Hey River Life, Pastor Greg here. So we ran into some problems with our video camera on Sunday and we weren't able to record the sermon. Uh, and I had heard from a lot of people after church that they really appreciated it and it helped them think through a difficult topic like why don't we call God our mother? And so I decided to record a new one. I'm going to do the whole sermon right here in my office. I've never done this before, so it feels really strange to be preaching to an empty room. No congregation, uh, no response. It, so it feels a little strange. So if parts of this seem a little off, that's why. But that's okay. Um, we can do it anyway. So here we go with the sermon, Why Don't We Call God Our Mother? So, have you ever watched a, a conversation on Facebook just flame, just explode? It can be any one of topics, religious, political, whatever, okay? Well, I saw this happen a few years ago when I saw someone post a poem called God Our Mother. And oh my goodness, if you want to see Christians just explode in internet rage, post something like that. Uh, so, it, it just exploded all kinds of opinions going back and forth and heresy and all of that and so um, but one thing that that told me was that this is a really sensitive volatile issue and ever since then I've been really intrigued by it and so this being Mother's Day well a few days ago being Mother's Day I thought it'd be a great topic to talk about why don't we call God our mother so this is commonly known as gender inclusive language for God. That's the phrase, if you ever want to Google it, that's the phrase to Google. And there are some pretty compelling arguments in favor of changing or at least challenging the way that we, we talk about God, particularly because so much, so much of it is in masculine ways. So here are some of these compelling arguments. So one, God is neither male nor female. So we shouldn't, we should call him father and mother or neither. Um, the patriarch of the church has oppressed women for centuries. Uh, as one feminist theologian put it, if God is male, then the male is God. And uh, also we no longer live in the male dominated society like it was back when the Bible was written. And then lastly, many people have had negative experiences with their own father and so that it's difficult for them to relate to a father God in heaven. So with all of these arguments, with all of these arguments, what, why is it? Why is it that we don't call God mother? So have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered that for, um, should we call God mother? So for you men out there, maybe not, but for you women, maybe. You might have wondered this or not. And so whether you have or not, chances are you have a reaction to the idea of calling God mother. So here are five possible reactions. So one is, I love the idea. That you could say like, I totally believe we should advocate against the patriarchy in the way that we talk about God, okay? Another option is, I'm intrigued. Um, maybe maybe you're disappointed in the way that, that churches and Christianity's talk in such masculine ways about God. And some of you are maybe in the middle be like, I don't know, it sounds like it could be good, but I don't, I'm not sure I agree with it. Some of you are on this side. Maybe you're saying, I'm not 100% against it, but I'm kind of uncomfortable with it. 
it feels, it just feels wrong. Um, and then some of you might be over here to say, no way, this is heresy. No Christian should ever call God mother. So where do you fall on this spectrum? From over here to over here. Are you for it or against it? Comfortable with it or uncomfortable with it? Somewhere in the middle, maybe. Well, before we dive in, we have to understand why this question even exists. It exists because the church has for centuries oppressed women and used scripture to justify sexism, misogyny, and even violence against women. And that is just a reality. Uh, and today, it still exists across the globe and even here in America. In fact, some of you may have even grown up in churches where, where women were treated like second-class citizens and where men used culture and scripture to justify their behavior. So for many of you women, you have experienced firsthand church-going men, even pastors, who judge, shame, and even abuse you, your sisters, your moms. And if that has happened to you, I am so sorry. That is not who you are. That is not who God created you to be. And that is not God's vision for the church. Uh, and so I am genuinely sorry that your hurtful experiences have been done under the name of God. Um, so reality is this question exists because way too many men in the church, especially leaders, have failed to act like Jesus. They failed to represent God well, and they failed to reflect the image of God inside them. And if women admired and respected men in power instead of tolerated or even feared them, I believe this question would be a non-issue. So that's why this question exists. And so that said, let's dive in. Let's talk about the question. Why don't we call God mother? Well, here's the simple answer because the Bible doesn't. In fact, nobody in this, in this debate, even the proponents of this view, will argue that the Bible calls God mother. It's just not in there. But most of the arguments in favor of it say that we need to adapt our language in the Bible. We need to adapt what's in the Bible. So this raises a bigger, much more important issue. Uh, how do you view scripture? How do you view scripture? Fundamentally, do you view scripture as a human book or as a God book? That's a core question you need to wrestle with. See, some Christians view the Bible as a collection of inspired works written by people. So God was involved. Certainly he was involved in the writing. But the emphasis is on the human authors. Um, so for, it's, not, it's not seen as the word of God. It might have errors in it, or it was culturally influenced when it was written, okay? This would be considered a more progressive or a more ver uh, um, uh, liberal, or a more progressive or liberal view of scripture. Now, other Christians will say that the Bible is God's book, and he used it to, he used people to create what he wanted to create. Uh, so it's not a socio-cultural linguistic product of its time, it's God's revelation of himself to humanity. Another word for that is it's God's self-revelation. 
So this would be considered a more traditional or orthodox view of scripture. Now here's how it connects to the mother God issue. So if you hold the first view that the Bible is fundamentally a product of men uh, within a certain time and place, it's easy to agree with arguments in favor of adapting and moving toward more gender inclusive language for God. So for instance, God is simply, you could argue God simply accommodated the patriarchy of the culture within the Bible. It's not what he wanted, he simply accommodated it. And so as a result, we don't have to right now, we shouldn't. Or you, you might argue to say God is beyond language um, so e even the Bible is limited in how it can describe God. And therefore, it's okay to update it with more inclusive language. Okay, but if you hold the second view that the Bible is fundamentally God's book, you can't change it because God wrote it. You see, we can't change it because we didn't write it. God did. And we can't change scripture to accommodate our times, what we like, what we dislike, what we agree with, what we believe now in 2019. We have to trust God enough that he's in control, even of the Bible. So how do you view scripture? Because this will greatly impact how you view the issue of God as mother. It will drive what you are willing to do with scripture and what you are not willing to do with scripture. So first, you have to answer that question. So it seems like a pretty black and white issue, doesn't it? Okay, well, not exactly. Because did you know that the Bible actually uses feminine imagery for God? And it's not just once or twice. Scholars have found at least 25 instances throughout scripture where God is described using female analogies, metaphors, and similes. Many of them, God himself is speaking, and he chooses feminine imagery to describe himself. Even Jesus did it. So this is another area where the church has to admit that it has generally failed. That I certainly, I've never heard a sermon on the feminine side of God. And my guess is most of you haven't either. And so if you haven't, I'd like to introduce you to the feminine side of God in our Holy Bible. So many of the references fall under three categories. Three categories. First, God is compared to a mother giving birth. So in Isaiah 42, 14, and I apologize, we don't have slides up on the screen or anything. So um, I'll, I'll go a little slower. So you, if you wanted to pause and grab your Bible or open up your app. Uh, you can read along, otherwise you can just listen. So in Isaiah 42, 14, God says this, For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. So here, God is describing himself, describing his efforts to redeem Israel in terms of a woman giving birth. Okay? Israel has been living in disobedience with God and God is striving to redeem them. And he chose a woman giving birth. So about a thousand years before that, Moses rebukes God's people with this line. You deserted the rock who bore you, 
you forgot the God who gave you birth. That's Deuteronomy 32, 18. Um, but yeah, you deserted the rock who bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. See, in both of these verses, God is equating his redemptive activity to a mother giving birth to her child, who in the case of these two verses is Israel. So the next type of analogy that's common is God is compared to a mother caring for her children. So in one of the most amazing, endearing, maternal passages in all of scripture, Isaiah 49, 15, it says this, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. That's what God says. So God assures Israel that, that us or that he assures Israel and he assures us that his love is stronger than one of the most reliable one of the most intimate one of the most self-giving relationships in all humanity and that is a mother nursing her child so later in the same book oh yeah that was Isaiah 49:15 later in the same book in Isaiah 66:13 God offers, a, offers this statement. His people are in distress. Here's what God says. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. See, there's a reason most kids go running to their mom when they fall, scrape their knee, bang up their elbow. Because, man, nothing's better than a mother's hug. And God knows that. And so he used that metaphor of a mother comforting her child to describe his relationship with Israel. So lastly, the third, the third major category that we often see is a God compared to a mother protecting her children. So in the Psalms, God is compared to a mother bird protecting her little hatchlings. Uh, Psalm 91.4 says this, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So there God is comparing, God is compared to a mother bird protecting her little chicks under her wings. Uh, even Jesus picked up this metaphor. He picked up the same metaphor from Psalms as he spoke to the resistant Israelites. Jerusalem, oh, and this is Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. So even Jesus compares himself, not even God. Jesus uses feminine imagery for himself and how he cares for Jerusalem and by extension how he cares for us. And just in case you think all of the Bible's feminine references are soft and cuddly, Check out Hosea 13, 8. Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them. A wild animal, I will tear them apart. And so this is speaking of Israel's enemies. because And this is true because we all know you don't mess with Mama Bear because you're going to get ripped up. Don't mess with Mama Bear. So with all of these passages, with all of these passages and more, 
we are reminded of the feminine side of God, that God embodies the love of a mother. God embodies the tenderness of a mother, the kindness of a mother, the warm embrace of a mother, and the strength of a mother. So much of what is great about the women in our lives comes from God. So with all of these verses, and more that I didn't even read, doesn't it make sense that we should make some space for feminine language of God? He and she, father and mother. That's one of the arguments people make for more gender-inclusive language for God, that the Bible itself doesn't. But you see, there's one major difference. There's one big problem. All of the feminine references to God in scripture are figures of speech. Metaphors, analogies, similes, and uh, personifications, word pictures. Okay, None of them are titles. That's the biggest difference between how the Bible uses masculine language and feminine language for God. See, there are masculine pronouns in the Bible for God, namely he. Okay, and masculine titles for God, father, king, shepherd, but there is never anywhere in scripture a feminine title for God, like mother, queen, or goddess. And there's a big difference between pronouns and titles and metaphors and analogies. See, this is where your view of scripture is important. If you view the Bible as God's self-revelation, then it means that God has chosen to describe himself with masculine titles. It's not patriarchy or religious conditioning. It's God himself. Now you might be wondering, but if God isn't male, why did he do that? So to answer that question, you have to come back to River Life on Father's Day. Because that's when I tackle the question, why do we call God Father? But for now, we just have to accept that those titles by faith and trust God. So there's a very famous theologian named um, Walt, uh, Bruce Waltke. He was part of one of the translation team for the NIV. Here's how he put it. It is inexcusable hubris, hubris and idolatry on the part of mortals to change the images by which the eternal God chooses to represent himself. Oof. So where do we go from here? I, I want to close and I want to wrap up with three things. First, as Christians, we should continue to identify God with the names used in Scripture. God, Lord, King, Father. And we should resist the culture's attempts to impose non-biblical feminine titles onto God. It sounds great, I get it. It sounds wonderful to be, to be inclusive, equitable, and empowering to women. But there's no biblical grounding for it. Second, to all the women out there. So on this Mother's Day, or Mother's Day a few days ago, all you women, I wanna affirm that all that is loving, caring, and strong in you is from God because it's in God. You are invaluable to the kingdom and the church. 
And that's why as your pastor, I will strive to have women on stage every single week. That's why I'm, I am absolutely committed to having women have significant voices, significant and roles of leadership and influence in this church. And I promise that your voice will always be heard and you will always have a place at the table. Lastly, if the names of God shouldn't be changed, what should? How do we as a church respond to women's very real charges of sexism, oppression, and abuse, particularly abuse of power among Christian men? Well, so I leave you with a quote from Caitlin Beatty. She's one of the editors of Christian, the magazine Christianity Today. And here's what she says. If the word father is painful, broken, and a stumbling block for many of our neighbors, it's fathers and not the language who need reform. Maybe more men need to get comfortable with being nurturing and showing emotion. Maybe more dads need to stay faithful to their families when they want to bail. Maybe all of us need to hold men accountable for treating women like co-rulers and not subordinates. Maybe it's we and not God who need to change. Now that's some reform I can get behind. How about you? So join me in prayer. Father God, thank you that you are a motherly God, that you are caring, protective, and life-giving. And thank you for all the women in our lives that reflect these godly characteristics. I stand on behalf of the men here to confess our pride and our insecurity. God, I ask forgiveness for the times we've used you to push our own agenda against our wives, sisters, and girlfriends. Thank you that you've given us women to reflect parts of you and parts of Christ that we don't necessarily do well. So on this day, God, I pray blessings on all the women here. Blessings of strength, unconditional love, and equity. Let us be a church. Let us as a church be a place where women are celebrated, respected, and empowered to be all that you created them to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen.